Welcome back. Episode three of season two. We're, we're going to have to come up with a better nomenclature. Is that how you pronounce it? Nomenclature. <laughs> <laughs> I think nomenclature. Okay. Nomen yeah. Hello, nomenclature. Nomenclature. Dr. Nomenclature. <laughs> the, th the thing I find hardest about the, the new setup is normally in these episodes, I really like belly laugh. Like I laugh really loudly at stuff. But if I do that into this microphone, it'll just blow everyone's speakers out. Be bursting eardrums across the country. Bursting. So I have to like lunge to the side to laugh. <laughs> All this microphone technique stuff is a difficult skill. So we want to start things on a cheery note today, mm. which is something you may have seen over the last couple of weeks in the news was a woman in Mexico who was killed while training. She was trying to squat 180 kilos in a Smith machine and she just got decapitated by it effectively. Um, she had it on her back, sitting trying to do what looked like a box squat with two spotters that weren't paying attention and she just gets completely pinned by it instantly killed we're not going to show the video because i think out of respect for the dead and also it, we, we don't want to make this into a, a snuff podcast but um there's a few things that have come about off the back of it and it's you know the full story hasn't been brought to light yet you know it's still under investigation so we got we got sent this i think didn't we on Instagram, <clears throat> like saying, oh, you guys should react to this. Um, and I was actually with a friend at the time who trains. And I said to him, oh, like, look at what's happened. Um, and we spent like, you know, because in that in, in the link that we were sent, there wasn't the video, there wasn't really any detail. It was just that this lady had been killed by 400 pounds, I think they said, which is what, like 182.5 or something like that. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and we were discussing like, is that, so I think the first thing that comes to mind for anybody who's lifted weights before is how does that happen? The second thing is like, is that, was it an ego lift that went wrong or was it someone like really experienced? I think this is what I, I'd assumed it was someone who, um, cause you see, you've seen clips, you've probably seen the clips at like IPF worlds and stuff like that, where someone unracks a weight that's too heavy for them or it's like a PB attempt and they get like knocked forward or they try to rack it and they can't or something like that. You're right that there's a difference. You can tell someone who is an experienced weightlifter or someone who's handling a weight that is within the realm of what they can do. Mm. And you, they handle it differently to what this looked like. This to me looked like a breach of trust from somebody, to be honest, because her and the two spotters didn't really look like they knew what they were doing or were paying attention. It's hard to know. Like it wasn't, she wasn't filming it. So it wasn't like it was some kind of stunt for social media. Um, but somebody should have said something at that point. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Like if you saw, you've probably seen it, like someone in the gym load up a bar that you look at them and think, they can't do that. Like, would you intervene? If I genuinely thought someone was going to be in danger from something, 
um, I'd make sure that I was unoccupied and be nearby yeah. so that if they did pin themselves, you could go over and, and help. I think um, in this instance, though, to be honest, from what I've seen in the video, I don't think there's much you could have done. The, so the side spotter, it, it's, it's difficult because it actually squatting in a Smith machine with a weight that's far too much for you mm. with a fence. Fixed plane, isn't it? Yeah, fixed plane, you're, you're pretty, it's a guillotine. That's mm. it, like you, you're yeah. stuck. Oh, and, you um, like that. And she, you know, one, once it starts falling, you can't hook it back into the, the clips quick enough. You're then pinned between that and the bench. So the first line of defense is don't attempt something that is way outside of your your max. But again, I don't think this was necessarily a, a lack of judgment on her part. Yes, it, that was one of the problems. But in, you know, in medical error in hospitals, they call it the Swiss cheese model, which is the nurse left the drug cupboard unlocked. The the doctor um, wrote in squiggly handwriting on the prescription chart. The patient wasn't being attended to. And it's like all of these things happen in sequence, which then causes some kind of error or fatality. So it's not one particular thing. It's like multiple um, yeah. holes in the Swiss cheese that line up and create a hole all the way through. Got it. Right. So in this case, lack of judgment, lack of judgment from the spotters, breach of trust from whoever was training her or whoever encouraged her to do that. Um, and the, it could have been prevented, yeah, if the side spotter had tried to catch it. or But he was looking the other way from the video. And mm -hmm. then when they did go and try and help her, like people kind of hesitated as to whether to try and pick it up off her. As you say, though, probably too late by that point anyway. Yeah. I mean, it, I've never really thought about it before, but I suppose a Smith, a Smith machine in many ways is way less safe than a a barbell because if you especially squatting because if you fail if you fail with a squat like you fall forward or you fall backwards and the bar goes with you so like if you're in a power rack the bar will fall with you and you could i mean we, we've seen it at competitions right like people actually get out from under the weight of a barbell which it doesn't exactly look comfortable <laughs> but at least the bar is not in a fixed plane with you in between it and the floor the bar can fall in any direction it can pivot rotate spin dump forward dump backwards and you can let go of it as well without you feeling sort of stapled and then add to that in this instance there was a bench um that she was over because as you say it was a box squat something like that um and I, I th there's been there's there was loads of instances i remember when box squats were really heavily popularized because of west side lots of people did box squats and then you know you squat to a box even in a power rack and then if you fail, what do you You're do? just pinned. You're just pinned, yeah. Horrible. You've got like your spine and then load and a fixed thing that's that's going to take that load oh, plus whatever else. Disgusting. Um, it's just asking for a stress fracture, isn't yeah, it? So, yeah, yeah. Or a compression fracture. So this is part of the problem that if it was a free barbell, not that, it, not that we'd recommend just loading up a, a bar and, and racking it for, for giggles, but... Um, there's a there's a distance between the bar and the plate and so there's no mm -hmm. bench even if it falls in the worst position like on the back of your neck mm -hmm. you're not going to get decapitated by it because there's a gap for your head to slip out of it yeah so yeah and as, as you've seen we've seen people at competition i remember a guy at nationals who unracked 200 kilos <clears throat> he start he he did the squat and then as he was coming up, he decided to bail out and rolled it forward over his neck, yeah. over the back of his neck. 
um, he fell over, was it was in tears, understandably, and then reattempted the same way, did the same thing again. And then on the third time, people were like, please, if you're going to fail it, don't roll it over the front of your head, like or over the back of your head, just let the spotters handle it. It's that a common, there's that's a common one and letting go of the bar, completely letting go. Just, no, no don't want it. Yeah, because it, it's like this this like deep primal thing, isn't it? Like you're, you're not thinking clearly at that point. You're just like, oh my God, I need to get out from underneath this. But the very sad thing is that she probably wouldn't have been able to walk 400, kilo, uh, 400, 400 pounds out of a squat rack if it had been a free barbell. Like the, I think the limiting factor would have been actually getting it away from the safeties. Never like whereas obviously with a Smith machine, you, all you need to do is like move it up slightly and twist, and then that weight is free to do anything within mm. that plane up and down. Whereas obviously a barbell and a squat rack, you, there's normally it's normally on a J hook, so you got to get it out from the J hook and then walk it back far enough away from the squat rack, depending on what you're squatting in, for it to then arguably be like really dangerous. And even then, falling forward, you're going to fall, assuming you're squatting somewhere safely, you're, fall, you're going to fall into a rack, aren't you? You're going to fall into a power rack or against some safeties or some pins. And falling backwards is, is still horrendous, but less severe. Like you're not going to get pinned, you're just going to fall onto the bar. I think the moral of that story is only attempt a weight that you can safely fail. And actually, we, we recommend to all of our clients that they, especially when they're learning the technique with the squat or with any any barbell movement to deliberately fail it a couple of times with the empty bar just so that you can get used to what what to do if you can't make mm -hmm. the weight so how to dump a bar behind you safely or how to how to drop it without being pulled along with it i've almost passed out doing front squats before because obviously you've got it compressing your carotids <laughs> and yeah. uh, as i was coming up i felt myself losing consciousness you know you see the curtain come down over the top <laughs> I tried to hook it in the rack, couldn't make it in the other one, attempted a couple of times and then kind of slumped over the bar forwards. But that was in a squat rack. And a lot of people try and do stuff for, I don't know if it's for bravado or just thinking like, oh, this will be fine. Bearing, but like, remember, weight, weights are heavy. Like mm. <laughs> that's the... There are it, any reason for existing. It's exactly, that's, that's why they exist. And I, mm. I was worried when this story hit the news that it would be bad PR for weightlifting overall mm. um, because people would then, you know, but I think people have taken it quite reasonably in that understandably the whole point of lifting weights is progressive overload and you can, you need to respect the weight. So it's exactly the sort of thing, isn't it? Where like you have to then deal with your parents and your friends and people who don't lift telling you, I mean, do any of us lift is the question, but that, that's for a separate episode. The, 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 you know, them telling you like, oh, you see, weights are dangerous. You shouldn't be doing that. Especially if you're in a strength sport where like you are pushing your one RM all the time. Because um, obviously that danger exists, right? Like we, I think we've both, throughout the course of us lifting, we've probably both seen some pretty horrendous videos mm. um, of, of, of stuff happening. During, it was always during a squat, I think. Like, do you remember the Brandon Lilly video? Do you remember that? Where he split uh, his kneecap? Oh, God, yeah. He was, like, he was walking out a squat from, with knee wraps on, I believe, and just sort of missed, took a, took a, like lost his footing 
to step, step like slightly on the side of his foot and his knee caved in. And you see stuff like that and you have to just put it to the back of your mind. But it is obviously part of the part of the process. And I think it is easy to, um, even with tons of experience, like thousands of reps, you have one instance where you lose your concentration or you're not paying attention. And it's always during like a warm up or when you're chatting with someone and you, you take a, a wrong footing or misload one side of the bar and you try and you unrack something that's 20 kilos heavier on one side or something like that. And before you know it, you've hurt your hip, you've hurt your back. It's, it's really easy to do. So it's obviously incredibly sad, but a, like a nice reminder, I think. Because a lot of that is, in theory, injuries from weightlifting are avoidable. They, the injuries that typically come about from weightlifting are repetitive strain type injuries from attrition of your elbows. You've given your elbows too much jip over several years and they, they start to get angry or whatever. But these kind of freak events shouldn't really happen. They tend to happen more with people like... Brandon Lilly. People like Brandon Lilly, where they are pushing the limits of how much yeah. weight a human can can lift. A, an assisted human as well. Like even yeah, taking like steroids out of it, like he's still wearing knee wraps. He's still, I think he, I think he was raw rather than in like a single ply suit. But yeah, it's uh, like you, you're wrapping fabric tightly on and heavy elastic and stuff on yourself so that you can lift more weight, and then you're taking mm -hmm. drugs to make yourself lift even more. Yeah, a human something's only, eventually going to give, isn't it? Yeah. The equipment or you or you know the bar i suppose but yeah so there we go do you think there's any injuries you've had that you could have prevented yeah the bravado comes back to this some of the stuff is just you put two 20s on one side of the bar and one on the other and you forget and you unwrack mm. it and you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the stuff with my with my back pain, which I covered in a in a video and podcast, if you if you're interested or if you've suffered from back pain, was early twenties bravado of like, oh yeah, that that shooting numbness down my left leg, it's just DOMS. It's just DOMS, it'll be fine. I'll just train on top of it. I'll just max out again today. And it was always just ignoring the signals from the body. You know, you, most injuries shouldn't be zero warning and suddenly it's happened. Things like sciatica and disc herniations and things are often we're lucky enough to be given warning signs and then your choice is do you do something about it or do you just pretend it didn't happen and keep training on it and it, take the gamble roll the dice I find difficult with that and i'm sure like because i suppose like i know retrospectively you say like oh i should have paid attention to whatever the sensations were but like i remember you had used to have back spasms while you were training and then you would still sort of like you would recover and then train on them but at the time if i were to like speak to you on a random day in the middle of a training cycle when you're doing like squatting three times a week oh i'd be like shut I'm, up grandpa like i'm not <laughs> doing that <laughs> well but, but that and also like you'll have been sore a lot of the time anyway or like a bit achy it's not like you feel completely fresh but there is a piece of localized back pain that you're like that's not normal like i think you generally just feel a bit like oh god i'm like training hard at the moment it's hard to distinguish like is that a warning sign or are my joints just a bit stiff because i'm training a lot at the moment I find yeah. it really difficult to separate those. It's a good point. The main thing is learning to differentiate between what is DOMS, what is generally just being a bit beaten up, and what is the early sign of an injury, or what is something that, you know, if you've got tenderness at a um, bony prominence, that's... <laughs> Pardon? <laughs> tenderness 
tenderness at a bony prominence. Yeah, so if your medial epicondyle in your elbow or your spinous processes or you've got a, a sharp positional pain, mm-hmm. that character of pain is not going to be standard DOMS. You know, the, and the, the simplest test is you just press in the middle of your muscle belly. Like, you know, the day after you've done five sets of dumbbell bench and then you've done some incline and then you've done some flies and and then someone comes along and just presses you right in, right in the tit and you just, <laughs> ah! <laughs> That's Dom's. <laughs> so you, you don't think it's, you don't, because I, I think I will get like low level joint stiffness for like one to two days after training in the same way that I'll get must, like Dom's. I think that, that still exists with heavy training. But it's not pain necessarily. It's a uh, like, you know, like you stand mm. up, you get out of a chair, and you have to make the accompanying groan just to let everyone know that you're a bit, bit sore that day. Yeah, it's this is the skill of. It sounds woo woo, but listening to your body, I think, is a really advanced skill. How much of? I was thinking about this in the shower this morning. Weirdly, how much of medicine do you think is? determining differences from or changes from a baseline like if you knew everybody if, if someone came in to the gp clinic or a e and you could see a graph of like three day six day 12 day averages of a baseline of that thing and then is it is it just really like well is it different from baseline so i suppose what i'm asking is like someone might have I don't know, a, a pain, a feeling, uh, like some a, a, a tissue might be a certain way, a lump mm. or change. Is, is, is it, it always seems to be changes from something rather than something existing? Yeah, I think that's, it's quite, that's a useful mental model. I think it's one of the mental models in clinical skills and clinical assessment. So you will have very advanced senior consultants that ha- are able to walk into a room and from the end of the bed, spot whether someone is is unwell or deteriorated or or not and often it may not be a single sign it might be a kind of background unconscious synthesis of all of the data points that they're seeing maybe triangulated with looking at the blood results looking at the imaging and so on but they see it as a gestalt feeling and it's the it's the same as a stock trader who looks at the charts and without identifying particular patterns or doing any kind of technical analysis they just have a sense of buy or sell and it's because they've just seen so many thousands of charts in the past that that their their unconscious has done all the processing under the hood and says right that's the decision you need to make so that's one side of it and i guess that's a more kind of difficult to quantify or really more of a machine learning type way Mm. of doing clinical assessment the other the other side of it what you said is is there a change from baseline that's really important to identify what is the patient's baseline. Because if you came in to a GP clinic and said, I've got chest pain, you'd be thinking very different things to if a 65-year-old man who's overweight came in and said, I've got chest pain. And you'd, you'd be running down a, a different set of differentials. Equally, if you were a man in your 30s, but super anxious, really skinny, always like wound up smokes 40 cigarettes a day drinks loads of coffee and is always complaining of chest pain that's that's the baseline and obviously anxiety can be a cause of chest pain so 
every time they come in, you, you don't just say like, what's the baseline for a human? A human shouldn't be experiencing chest pain. Therefore, <laughs> it, you know, you, you've got to take it with the pinch of salt. But that, that obviously it gets murky because Boy Who Cried Wolf comes into play there, doesn't it? So you've got all these statistical minefields to try and navigate <laughs> with that. But that's why ba- baselines and trends and averages are really helpful. I think it's useful, like while you might be thinking like, how is this at all related to online fitness businesses? I think it's useful for coaching clients as well. So oh, it's the same. Yeah. Yeah. So like, cause it, it, I'll often think what's important to have, let's say you're coaching someone who wants to get as lean as possible. Right. And like, that's not every client, but they, they do happen. They, they do happen. They do inquire and work with us sometimes like someone will want to get to like super super low levels of body fat and i think as you as someone is dieting and becomes more emotional and maybe doesn't see things necessarily as rationally as on day one of the diet when they're in day 105 of the diet it does get more and more important i think to track things like or try and establish a baseline of like what is this per- how hungry is this person out of 10 on a normal day how tired is this person out of 10 on a normal day what is their sleep like on an, on an average week and then when they present with like i just can't stick to the diet this week you have more than just that emotional check-in but i, so I think there's, there's a lot you can learn from medicine in when it comes to coaching a client or, or building out client programs because you, you've ultimately got to you're trying to diagnose problems, aren't you? Basically, you're trying to figure out like, what do I need to change? Yeah, this was your job in KPMG. You know, you were an auditor, and I guess that is identifying what is outside of the expected. Like you, I suppose at, at its root, if you you go to a company and you you look at it, you get this this gestalt feeling of like, okay, here's a sense of what Carlsberg should look like. <laughs> And here's what, <laughs> here are the numbers that I'm seeing. Does this match up? And then an absolute ninja auditor might be able to just like skim through the numbers, like matrix style and just go, oh, that looks abnormal. Why is that? And then they start the investigation. So you did when you were like, because I, I mean, I never got that senior where like that was even beginning to happen, but you would see the partners and, you know, just pick up a set of accounts and sort of squint at it and they just knew which they knew which lines in the accounts to look at. You know, they're like, they have tens of clients and they just know what like the risk areas are. It's very impressive. Um, whereas, you know, as a junior, you don't have that experience. You don't have all, all that sort of data and um, seeing things go wrong, experiencing the things things go wrong to, to be able to have that sense. So you're given very defined parameters and rules and tests to follow to try and basically feed in, feed into the bigger picture of like, yeah, this, this area is or isn't. Um, within range, basically. But yeah, how how the hell did we get here from talking about a very unfortunate, sad incident in a weight room? I'm I'm not sure, Crazy. but it actually leads me on very nicely onto this question that I had for you, Johnny, um, which was: <laughs> Would you rather live in the waxy ear of a grumpy giant, eating only what flies mm-hmm. in there by accident? not able to make a noise for fear of being ejected with a huge cotton bud or live in Middlesbrough. (laughs) 
that surely this has been like this isn't uh, just a plucked off the internet would you rather have you customized it with the location this is actually straight this off is really uh, richard herring yeah because you lived in middlesbrough i did and that's what Didn't makes you? this question so tough for me i mean you've had experience of middlesbrough right. too i've been in Mis- Mid- 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 middlesbrough more than you'd like times. to i imagine <laughs> yeah yeah especially the like um sort of industrial part of middlesbrough which is very just very gray and damp and the, the dystopian sad. part of middlesbrough <laughs> if there is such a thing like where you get out you get out of the car and just go <sighs> always raining yeah here we go again yeah yeah always a bit foggy always cold I've got a few caveats if if that would be helpful for you, but that would be very helpful. Thank okay, you. so <laughs> the earwax would be edible, and it would taste of your favourite food, okay. but it would have zero calories. Now that's oh, interesting. That's a hell. Of, that's got, a hell of a perk. Oh yeah, it's a perk, but I've I've got many. I mean that like that by itself, arguably. But continue. <laughs> Secondly, if you chose the latter option, you would live in a mansion with a swimming pool and a yearly sum of £10 million paid into your bank account, but you'd still live in Middlesbrough. Oh my god. He really hates Middlesbrough, doesn't he? I think, well, I mean, it's got to be Middlesbrough, hasn't it? I mean, that clinches it, to be honest. However, though, if you're in the Giants' ear... There is no need for currency. What are you going to use the currency for? So, like, you've got your favorite the appealing food. thing about the house in Middlesbrough, because I think really what you're actually going to encounter in both scenarios is boredom. But in one <laughs> scenario, you've got boredom without choice because you're in a giant's ear. So you're, you're like you're in you're in prison basically. But it's whether you would reach a state of apathy of like, well, I'm just going to like sit and do hours and hours of like. Shinzen Young meditation and just hope that I eventually reach this point of total equanimity and it doesn't matter. Or you have that boredom, but you're in a mansion with 10 million quid a year and you're like, God, what do I do now? I don't Wishing know. Wishing you were in a giant's ear. I really appreciate your <laughs> incisive approach to getting to the real fundamentals of these questions, Johnny. <laughs> it's like, what is the question asking? It's not asking, do I want to be in a giant's ear, is it? We look one layer beyond it's asking. Say, ah. yeah. It's asking about boredom tolerance. It's abundance. Abundance without many choices or abundance with a lot of choices, which would yield to greater happiness. What would you do with, with 10 million quid in a mansion? Well, that, you know, that much money actually introduces more complexity into your life. Like most people, if you ask do you them... Think so? like, do you think so? So you you, are, you ask some people like oh would would you like to be Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk and some people go like, oh yeah it'd be sick like he's got fifty billion dollars or whatever but but if you really think about that like having being that person and having that high profile and having that amount of cash immediately introduces a lot more problems like all of your relationships become suspect unless unless it's another billionaire <laughs> all of your mm security and booking a booking a ticket anywhere getting any kind of public transport listing your address anywhere your 
at risk of being doxed constantly. There's just doxed, doxed where your your home address and things get posted online. Um, <laughs> you've got cash. That's a term you're familiar with. <laughs> it's a it's a common <laughs> common thing, and and then you've got the what do you do with the cash that you've got? You have to make a you have to generate a return on that. There'll be so much paperwork. No, you, don't. You, you can't bank with Lloyd's, can you? Like they've probably mm. got some kind of limit. I, I agree with all of your points. I agree with the Elon Musk thing, the Jeff Bezos thing, the like the fame or you know, you reach that status through a very a very well known path that a lot of people find out about you in the process. But if I'm just put in a house in Middlesbrough, in a mansion in Middlesbrough, and I'm getting ten million quid a year. Yeah, you're not right? high profile. Like I'm not getting ten million quid one off. Well, but I just like to be honest. Okay, so let's say let's say I save I put five million quid long S P, forget about it. Five million quid in my current account, if you can even do that. <laughs> take all of my <laughs> take in all your, of my in your Tesco banking are, current account. Yeah, well yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um Virgin Money. <laughs> like it'd be tempting to just say to your best friends, look, like, what's your salary? I'll pay you double that salary and let's just have a really good time. Yeah. <laughs> And like, but the rule is, don't, like, don't tell anyone about it. Um, you know, you could you could just be really giving and liberal with the money because on the first of January next year, you get another ten million quid, and you got the five million in the bank from last year. That I mean, recently would have would have crashed, and you would have lost half of it. But that doesn't matter. I mean, it all sounds fine and well. Game. Yeah, but remember, we're living in. Meanwhile, like you're in a giant's ear, going yeah, but this earwax, no calories in that. No calories and it's really tasty. But you're in Middlesbrough, so... Both of us would be bored. Yeah. It's who, it's who can create the most leverage in the situation to defeat the boredom and achieve happiness. I think in the Giants here, you would have to like live a very simple life and, and just be happy with very little. I always default to just meditate. Yeah. Like, if, if you had... Wi-Fi and internet connection and all this stuff in the giant's ear, you could maybe create mm. quite a successful vlog. You know, it would, it would, it's got a real angle to it, hasn't it? It would go instantly viral. Instantly viral, wouldn't it? Hey, it's day 433 in the giant's ear. Today I've eaten some earwax. Yeah. I've meditated. <laughs> do you remember, do you remember this? I think this was like, this was quite recently. A guy uploaded some videos claiming that he was from the future. Do you remember this? No. So he uploaded some, some footage of towns that were just desolate. Cities that were desolate. And he was, he was out the, looking out the window and he was saying, like, I'm from the year 2045 or whatever. And the human race has, you know... And ended itself through nuclear war or whatever and I'm I'm sent back here to warn you all and he was using TikTok obviously as the as the means to warn the human race um, but like <laughs> you know obviously the video did very well um, but it, it's just incredible that he, he was able to he was a actually able to capture footage of, of cities with nothing like no one on the street no cars and I, I remember looking at it, because you look at, it, look at this stuff and you're like, oh yeah, just viral video, stupid video on TikTok, watch it for 10 seconds. And then you, you look a bit closer and you're like, actually, like... How has he done that? 
this is, mm. yeah, like this is quite weird. And then you start thinking, well, what would it look like if someone was in the year 2045 and there had been nuclear war? Like, and that, if that was me, what would I do? Uh, maybe I would use TikTok. Have you ever seen Dark, the German series? N- no, but you've recommended it to me, haven't you? Have I? Yeah, it's, it's dubbed. You can choose dubbed or German, depending on your temperament. <laughs> I mean, the dubbing is always like, hey, what are you doing in there? Stop that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's so bad, isn't it? Dubbing. I don't know. Why does it have to be that shit? <laughs> it's never got, okay. Yeah. You've got Morgan Freeman doing an eight-year-old girl's voice. And <laughs> no, it's... It is very good, but it's based on this concept and it, there's a lot of jumping forward and backward in time. The only problem is they're all called like Niels and Gunther and, and Hans, very similar German names. And mm. and then there's three versions of each one and all the actors look quite similar. And so you've know. now got like past, present and future Niels, past, present and future Hans. And like you're trying to keep track of them all and there's a really complicated character structure. So... You've really got to pay attention. Uh, and how is that related to the TikTok in the future thing? Oh, so they, part of it, I'm, I'm trying not to give it too many spoilers here, but part uh, of it is um, this like desolate land in the future where humans have knacked themselves. Knacked themselves. Knacked themselves. Knacking. <laughs> There's one, one final thing. And then we'll, we'll move on, which is, have you seen a clip that's going around at the moment about TikTok? And there's a guy being interviewed saying TikTok was weird because it wasn't, it's like, I think, is it entirely Chinese in origin? Like they've, they developed it. And in China, the algorithm rewards people doing things that are really productive, like learning mm. to code and creating things and, and entrepreneurialism. Yeah. yeah. And then in the UK, it rewards like miming over stupid videos and people doing shuffle dancing up the stairs and stuff yeah yeah you've seen the clip then i assume i have it so it's interesting because like there is this going theory that tiktok is a psyops from china to deaden the the younger generation and make them weak and crap and on the one hand you're like well did they really need a psyops like we're already doing that to ourselves anyway accidentally and on the other hand you're like well like there's there's streams of that that kind of make sense and what what this guy is saying is that if you manipulate an algorithm fundamentally you can alter the psychological landscape of an entire generation which is quite quite ominous in itself and particularly if you can set the dials as to what you're going to feed people um and I, i'm very much a believer in this concept that you should be more careful with choosing the book that you read over um, or any of the media that you consume over like trying to actually read it or trying to trying to read more books because all of the information you consume forms the landscape for your future thoughts and so you've got to be quite discerning with that um, with TikTok in general that's a hell of a hell of a thought in general I don't think I've ever heard you say that before, but I, I agree. Yeah, it's a scary thing that your your mind is just the soil of all of the previous material that you've consumed, and that's what sprouts the the thoughts, the plants that come in the future. So Chinese companies are 
private enterprises that as they grow and when they get to a certain size, the government goes, we'll have that, thank you. And then they insert government officials into the desks of the companies and they just kind of co-run it. Yeah. So, you know, like, have you heard of WeChat? Yeah. The, um, it's kind of the... It's like WhatsApp, right? WhatsApp, but it's also like your transport app and it's Uber Eats and it's it's everything mm. all in one app. And it's obviously heavily surveillanced. <laughs> and it's just like, and they don't allow all the other kinds, you know, you can get jailed for using WhatsApp in China. Um, so it's the perfect thing, like a perfect way to just lay the hammer down on your entire citizenship. And if you are naughty, you get called in for tea. And I, I only know this because... I was chatting to someone I know. The tea ones. I was holding the tea. <laughs> I was chatting to someone I know who is. Um, she's come from China. She's married to my friend, and told me about the way that the society works there. And it, it was a bit of a culture shock for her to come to the UK and be like, "Whoa, okay, this is like all the everything we've been taught in history at school is just propaganda." And um, oh wow! But. What what it was is Gosh. with WeChat. If you if you do something naughty, if you talk about the government in a certain way, you get invited for tea, and that's kind of a warning. And if that happens again, you get blacklisted, and you just can't travel. So you they they ban your WeChat account, and so you can't get on buses. You you the barriers if you drive between regions gets blocked. You can't order food. You can't communicate with friends. So you basically get made into a social outcast. An episode of Black Mirror. Yeah. Oh, that's a nice thought. And how did we get onto that? Oh, Bloody hell. <laughs> that was entirely my fault. Entirely my fault. I just saw, I've seen that video a couple of times. And you know, when you think like, what, because my immediate thought was like, oh, like this guy's just saying that, like, what does he know? And then you think, well, hang on, what would it look like if that were true? Like, let's say they had that intention and they were going to, try and do it subtly like how would they engineer that situation well actually it's quite a smart way of doing it that no one would ever really question because it's so similar to other social media apps and so but when powerful. you look at tiktok you think like yeah like tiktok is weird and different in that way isn't it like the content the way that it functions is different to other social media like i think people don't use tiktok to like keep in touch with their friends in the same way that they do on instagram and facebook and and twitter tiktok is just like people acting up so and then an algorithm rewarding certain behaviors yeah i mean if you were to look at my the way i would look at this is we've got social media as a whole the first one was myspace and so prior to mm. that we had letter writing so, or that, our bebo okay Be bebo so let, before myspace so let's say like generation one Sorry, social media. I realize it's not the point <laughs> yeah so the, so the way i look at it is like before social media we would communicate by calling up you know, remember you had to invite a friend over and you'd have to like dial their household number, speak to their dad and be the like, oh, is, is yeah. Johnny around? Can I? Yeah. So and so in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or you'd write them a letter. <laughs> that was the food equivalent of like roast turkey with broccoli and Brussels sprouts and some potatoes, really wholesome food, maybe with some turnip. Mm. Then came generation one social media, MySpace and Bebo. That's like Krispy Kreme donuts or a Happy Meal burger. It's like, oh, that's that's kind of a bit naughty and quite new and probably quite damaging over time if, if that was all you did. Then comes Facebook. That's like strawberry laces. 
Then comes <laughs> Instagram, which is like the jelly fried eggs and caram salted caramel. So like really Moorish, probably really bad for you if you just nailed it. Then comes things like TikTok, which is candy floss, or it's maybe just high fructose corn syrup just straight out of a tub. Yeah, it's like it's things that have been specifically engineered to like increase palatability palatability and how like the salt and fat and sugar combinations that are in like a mcdonald's big mac and all that sort of stuff is it the optimal bliss there's a there's a i I can't remember what it's called but they when they look at like obesity trends over time they look at the time between i want a cupcake and being able to eat the cupcake and the gap and if you look at the gap in like... <laughs> what a metric. It's probably <laughs> really sensitive. If you look at the gap in like 1920, I want a cupcake. You know, whenever you pick a date in history and you're like, fuck, like, what am I going to walk into? Did cupcakes like, exist then? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ah, right. Got you. So, so this is, I want a cupcake to being able to access one. Yeah. And that, that the time in between. So like, obviously there was, for most of, most of human history when cupcakes were available you had to like go to get the raw ingredients come home bake it wait for it to be ready eat it whereas if i said to you now like go, like stop what you're doing go and get a cupcake as fast as you can do you reckon 35 minutes sub 10 minutes I, well, actually yeah sub 10, like, if I, I could run to the corner shop and do it you mean but I, I could do it in 35 minutes without leaving my house yeah just uber eats yeah, one of these like, like while the podcast's happening yeah knock on the door oh cupcakes so like, are great <laughs> so like there's a, there's a there's a correlation between obesity not necessarily a causation but there's a correlation between like obesity trends and things like vending machines and like the availability of these of this stuff and social media is then kind of kind of similar in the it's way the, that like you go from it, having to ring your friend to scheduling a date to not talking to them in between then and the time that you meet them and then you meet them and it's really novel because you can talk in person and then now you like send someone a whatsapp or a gif or whatever and it's just this instant thing and then even beyond that it's just like, like meaningless communication on something like tiktok that's a really good analogy because the cupcake is increasing the availability of naughty food and then the equivalent is yeah. increasing the availability of cheap dopamine mm-hmm. scary stuff it's the it's the porn problem but for everything in life what were we going to talk about in today's episode? Well, now that we've covered a woman being decapitated by weight, being inside a grumpy giant's ear, the decline of society as we know it, and now we wanted to go through some of the pros and cons of selling digital products. What a podcast. Are you glad that you've subscribed to the Grow Your Online Fitness Business podcast? <laughs> Just for some context of what we've discussed so far, the only thing we planned to talk about, I think maybe lasted five minutes before we decided that actually was quite sad and we should talk about something else. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, over half an hour later, here we are. So, So, digital products... Um, let's, de- let's define what we mean by digital products because we had this conversation before. We just mean any information 
or a service that is sold on the internet, right? So like anything from an ebook to coaching, coaching calls, one-to-one coaching, group coaching, anything that isn't like a physical product that's sold on the internet. Whereas selling a t-shirt on the internet is not a digital product, but it's e-commerce still sold on the internet. And then obviously there's everything not on the internet. That's just everything explained in a, in a sync, simple sentence. <laughs> the thing that I think you and I get the most excited about when it comes to what stuff that we do in propane, it's the ability to create something, build something, improve something once, and then have that replicate over time. So being able to like put together a, an ebook or a product or a video or some resources and then obviously yes selling that but i think more importantly that not being at all attached to our time energy effort location but the value is still the same i think that's the bigger in my mind that's the biggest pro it's sexually arousing to be honest as a (laughs) concept like the fact that you can build something once and then that's it however it's a double-edged sword because and that's we'll I mean we'll come on to that with the cons because this this concept build once sell twice is the reason that you have uncapped your ability to earn money online you can take what was previously a very manual job offline and scale it without any friction but that also is something mm. that comes with the cost which we can we can cover but but yeah i mean as you say that building a ebook a course a coaching program, anything like that. You build it, the the software does the replication, it does the delivery for you. So you're then operating fully in your center of genius, which is the actual creation. And you don't have to worry about all of the, the pragmatic bits of that because software handles that for you. So in a sense, there's fewer moving parts. And there's certainly fewer moving parts than if you were selling product online. Even if you're doing something like dropshipping, you know, we, we tried it. We, 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 uh, we sold t-shirts with propane branding on them a while back and the margins are thin and and mugs. Yeah. The, there's a lot of faff on with trying to find a supplier and then you have to get the print screen and then what do you do with the postage? Do you get them to post it? Well, that's going to cost you or do you ship them to yourself in bulk and then you've got to store them somewhere and run to the post office each time and for very little return there's a lot more moving parts if there's a supply chain issue if the printer costs go goes up or if in our case our printer went out of business suddenly your <laughs> stuff you've got <laughs> you've yeah. got orders coming in you have to serve them and we had a guy we had a i, I remember this I mean, you might still be planning to do it this year, but for years in a row, this guy would, and it was very nice of him, like it's not a complaint, but this guy would order um, everybody in his company a propane t-shirt. Do you remember? Do you remember this? <laughs> We'd be like, oh, thanks. <laughs> oh, great. Because it would be a mixture of sizes and we only would we'd only ever have like six mediums, two larges and one XL in stock. Yeah. Yeah. And as soon as you want Lisa so, yeah, from I mean, to, to get a, a double XL and then you've got Gary who's a small and it's like, oh, right, we're going to have to place multiple new orders now. And the, the reason why it's so heartbreaking is, as you, as you said, the margins. 
like by the time you've, because it only takes one person to order from Australia and you've made a loss on that, you know, and like you look at it and think, because that, that it's what I find so impressive about Gymshark, for example, like the size of Gymshark. And then you consider what they're selling and the volume they're selling it at and how, and I'm sure it's not the case now because they'll, they'll be operating at such volume that these things, like the margins are, are fairly sizable. But I imagine there was a period of time in the business where it was very much on a knife edge with like something slightly goes wrong. It's like rental property and the boiler breaks, right? Like it's mm -hmm. profitable until the, until the boiler breaks. But, you know, you're running a business like that. There are so many, there are so many boiler equivalents in a situation like that. You think, well, if any of this goes wrong, or something like COVID happens or Brexit happens and suddenly like what was your 10% margin is now a 20% loss. I mean, like, well, fuck, like, what do I do? Yeah. Like, uh, do I, because you have orders, you have a backlog. So and none of this stuff, it's not like selling things online doesn't have downsides. They definitely do have downsides, but at least you don't run into like the operational complexity of, you know, I've got to ship something from overseas, put a logo on it and then send it to a customer. They can buy and then get immediate access. Now, yeah. that, there's, still, I, I, like, there's still problems with that. but I should say as well that we were crap at doing e-commerce because we didn't have those systems set up. We weren't operating at the scale that made it worthwhile. Obviously, there are millions of people making a lot of money with e-commerce online. And if you can do it, great. If you can operate at that scale, but there are it's it's not a very easy thing to break into and this is the reason that branding and marketing becomes so powerful the people who tend to do well with e-commerce are the ones who get these unbranded watches that look nice but are kind of a bit cheap and then they make a big song and dance on a landing page and sell them for three four hundred percent markup or maybe a thousand percent markup and they get a special logo on it and it's not about the product anymore it's, it's really the, the the branding that comes with that so yeah you know the, the, there's there's a few situations where it makes sense to have a physical product line so if you guys follow ali abdal you'll know that he's recently launched a stationary product called um essentially i think and if you've got a massive amount of traffic and you have a source a, a, a drop shipper and you're happy to just take the the cost so that they just handle it and do all the fulfillment, great. But even then, if we had a million subscribers, we would 100% be selling some kind of low-end digital product, you know, a, a £10 ebook or a £50 online course, because then you've just got so much reach and the software handles the fulfillment. I'd be interested to see in like a year's time when Ali does his sort of annual earnings report on YouTube, mm. how, what percentage of his revenue comes from the stationery and what percentage of it comes from his course. From Skillshare. And yeah, I don't think it's going to be a significant chunk, to be honest. But no, yeah, what do I'd I know? be very surprised if it was <laughs> paradigm shifting, actually, if uh, if it is a, a significant percentage. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, um, we'll change the name of the podcast. It'll be called Sell Your Online yeah. Stationery. <laughs> grow your stationary business the um the other thing with physical stuff is like you need you need cash you need capital up front because it's the chicken and egg problem right like you need you need customers but obviously the customers want stock so 
before you make any money, you probably need the stock first, unless you want to put people, you know, like all these sort of like, you know, that make money on Amazon YouTube adverts where people are saying like, oh, use like fulfilled by Amazon services. But what they don't talk about is the like 70 day lead time that someone has to wait to when they order your thing on Amazon. They've got to wait so long because you're trying to sort of rig it so you're not paying for things up front. Like there's a lot of complexity in that. And like you've got to, you've got to balance this time of like, how much stock do I hold? How much am I trying to shift at any one period of time? What are my forecasted sales? All that sort of stuff. So Whereas if it's just a course, videos and knowledge, you don't have that problem. On that note, talk to me about cost per lead with selling a course versus selling a, a product that has a cost already associated with the product itself. Yeah, well, you would. I suppose the benefit of selling a physical product is you don't really need to worry about cost per lead. You can just sell the thing. So, like, you'll see ads on Instagram for like, like we get targeted with tons of um, like clothing brands or um, like gym gym apparel or like gym um, accessories and stuff, like home gyms and stuff like that. Like, the, I don't need to opt in to consider buying something like that. I'm just going to buy the thing, which I guess is the it's a pro and a con of marketing for one of the two. So the downside, which is what Yusuf's talking about, is if you have to pay, you know, several hundred pounds cost per acquisition with advertising for a physical product, that's just, lit, you're literally eroding your margin. So if you were going to make 50% when you sell your thing on Amazon or when you sell your, th your, your physical product, that 50%, that's what you've got to play with for your app budget if you want anything left over. And there's not really either, unless it's one of these sort of newer businesses that is a subscription model. If you're selling a single thing and that 50%, that is all the profit you stand to make from that customer, you aren't relying on that person buying that thing every month, probably. They might buy like once a quarter or once a year or something like that. So a lot of downside with that. On, with online digital stuff, obviously you can sell a very high percentage of the, of the price can be an ad budget either because there's no cost of sale, there's no physical thing to deliver to the customer, but also a lot of the time, like with what we do in, in propane, certainly what we, what we teach our clients to do, it's a recurring thing, right? So when we're, when we're teaching our customers to run ads to acquire a customer, they can basically break even on the first transaction. So if someone sells their group coaching for 200, 300 pounds, they could spend 300 pounds in ads. And that this is, to keep it simple, we'll ignore things like VAT and... and costs elsewhere like software costs and stuff but we'll say 300 pounds and 300 pounds break even because they might know with enough data that that person on average stays six months at 100 pounds a month or 200 pounds a month and that's where the profit is so again just another benefit of online stuff on digital selling digital services digital products online if you are lucky enough to have your business suddenly hockey stick and go vertical some people do, you know, you get featured in a particular magazine or something happens where you just suddenly become the trending thing. And we've seen it with some coaches that we've worked with. Like we worked with a guy who was in his fifties and in amazing shape. And I think Lad Bible got hold of him <laughs> and he just suddenly, um, you know, 10 X is, is following. Now, if you sell physical products and that happens, that can break your business. That can be it because suddenly you've got a massive influx of demand. You can't then scale your operation linearly. Whereas if you're selling, you know, for example, if you're selling eBooks, if you're like Zach Ainsley and you've got 
a cookbook or a workout program or something that you that if you're following 10x's then there's no problem you just your revenue also 10x's then you're in a, a great position so you've opened yourself up to the upside of growth without the risk of of blowing yourself up so what about the cons the... um what were you gonna say <laughs> You just like put me into mental stall, I think. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Um, no, I've got it. The uh, Tim Ferriss podcast had a reputation for breaking businesses, physical, oh. like businesses with a physical product, because he would recommend them on, the, on a podcast. Obviously, like, I don't know what his downloads are, but they'll be big. And then, you know, and I... I I'm like this, like if he recommends something, for, for example, recently on a recent podcast with Cal Newport, which I think you'd really like, recommend it. He recommends this like low sugar, low carb cereal that's like Lucky Charms, but apparently keto, which is mental. Yeah, that sounds, they've achieved <laughs> the impossible. It's, it's Dr. Peter Atier and like loads of people have invested in it. Apparently that might not be right, but similar, but he, he, um, he recommended it at the start of the podcast. And as I was listening, I just straight away, I'm Googling it. I'm like trying to find it in the UK just cause I just think like, I trust, I trust Tim, like a load of stuff he's recommended I've bought. And it's been really good. So you're a physical, imagine being the cereal manufacturer and you've got like just enough boxes of cereal to, to get you through what you think is going to be a pretty good month. And then Tim Ferriss mentions you. And suddenly nobody can get the cereal. They've got to wait like 90 days to get the cereal. It's just the easiest way to lose your customer's trust. Because at any point, you're only ever going to have to just, just enough cereal to handle your current customer load because you, you can't afford to have storage for massive amounts of cereal. If it's keto cereal, all the rats will love it. They'll be getting shredded on it. So you don't want to have a risk of the rats coming and eating all the keto cereal. So... Yeah, it's a, like you struggle to have enough cereal just for you, don't you? Oh yeah, like you exactly. regularly run out of just use of cereal. So imagine <laughs> having like external demand, be a nightmare. But yeah, so the the cons, I think the the biggest con has got to be the sales process is more complex. So if you, what I'm trying to give an, an easy example, like if I want to buy protein powder, I'm probably going to Google protein powder right or i'm going to go to a, a shop and buy protein powder so there's like existing you're selling something that people already buy most of the time you're redirecting demand that's already there yeah it's like footfall basically online footfall um and if you're going to build a coaching program or a service that still might cater to a like a need or a want or a, like a goal that someone has that sort of still exists but you can't just you know, you, you very rarely see adverts to someone's like six week course popping up to just buy it, right? Like there's a, there's a sales process that has to happen because it's less clear why they should purchase from you. It's less obvious why they should pick you over somebody else. And that desire might not actually be there already. Like they might need to be sold on the, on the idea of the whole thing in the first place. Just why so, a lot of people run like opt-in funnels and webinar funnels and that sort of thing. Well, we've talked about this concept a lot, which is I think one of the big reasons that personal trainers, when they move online, fail because they're not used to that 
being part of the sales process. If you've gone from working yep. in a pure gym with personal trainer written on your back and big biceps, then that part of the footfall is already handled for you because Pure, as a company, have done the marketing and and really you're positioned there and you happen to be right in the face of the people who are ready to hire a personal trainer. Yes, you have to still romance people a little bit, but that bit's already done. When you move online, suddenly you're not redirecting existing demand in the same way. You then have to do all of that legwork earlier on in the sales cycle. And there's a kind of a blind spot to that until you've done it for a bit and then you're like, oh, actually, that's also my job here. Like even imagine um, like trying to get, because you see like Pure Gym like flyering in the street sometimes, right? Like just to try and get people to join the gym or often to take some kind of offer, right? You never see the PT standing out in the gym trying to pick up a client for a a pack of 12 sessions, right? Because that would never work, right? And I think everybody sort of intuitively knows that. And they, even then, like that's still an audience that's kind of aware of the fact that Pure Gym's there. I can see it. I can see that it exists. I know it's a gym. I understand what it is. I understand what personal training is. But yet they still don't try to do that because it's a very low yield strategy. But just like posting on your news feed and saying like, hey, I've got six spaces for my new program is basically the equivalent of that because people in Pure Gym pay and they're at the gym. Like there, it's such, an, it's such a warm audience. It's unbelievable really like how easy it should be to sell to those people a service to complement what they're already struggling with a lot of the time so it's when you take a an offline sales cycle like that and put it online you often run into this like ah, online doesn't work because it's more complex basically it requires more skills you've got to learn copywriting and marketing and advertising and you've got to be familiar with software like i think that was probably our like steepest learning curve right was like all the software we had to learn how to use over time to get to this point. So along with that, you've got part of that sales cycle and the things which, say, a big branded gym chain will do for you is the credibility and the trust and the authority because you're already seen as an authority if if you're hired by this gym chain and you've got the big biceps or whatever and you're standing there and you've got the logo on your T-shirt... All of that stuff is kind of unconsciously imprinting on people's minds, being like, oh, okay, they're an authority on this. But you have to build that from the ground up if you're a personal brand or if you're setting something up. So, so yeah, there's, there's that stuff. There's also from the delivery side, once you build once and sell twice, yes, it's, it continues to be relevant until it's not relevant. <laughs> there is a certain point where you might have to update or prune your program we've run into the problem because our our business program is um, a video, it is, it is, there's a lot of videos in the members area that we have to continually keep it up to date and update it with changes to the ads platform and r- changes to the way that social media marketing is working or keeping things as streamlined as possible. So it's not really a one and done thing. Some people will just record something once and then that's it, they leave it forever and you can tell that they've recorded it back in 2005 and they're trying to milk it but if you want to keep delivering a good program you you do have to just keep it up to date somehow Uh, with fitness luckily less so because the principles are pretty timeless um there might be the occasional thing that needs tweaking but and and this you know this is the the value of online coaching this is more of a pro that if you're building a product that is the support system for your coaching 
then it, your product's always getting better because as you coach more people through the program, you get a certain type, you get a certain number of questions and feedback that then helps you to build the program and make it better and better over time. Yeah. That's some, that's like the, the positive or negative flywheel stuff that we sometimes talk about. So like if you, if you build stuff correctly, then in theory, the more people who go through your program or the more clients you have, the better your service becomes because you're able to channel the questions and the resources and the things that you produce into making a better experience for everybody versus it getting worse, the busier it becomes. So that's a important thing. But the, I think the, the best example of sort of build once and sell multiple times that we have would be our sort of cheapest fitness product. So the V taper manual and the, and faster fat loss. I think we probably wrote in a month, something like that. Um, and like we haven't updated them because they don't need to be updated because they're talking about fat loss and muscle gain and those things like don't get software updates. Um, for the most part, like the principles remain the same. Um, and they're available for less than 10 quid and they sell pretty much daily at this point. And that's, I don't feel a, like a, a hint of guilt that like someone's bought something that's old because it's still, as far as I'm concerned, like it's still what we teach. Well, it's amazing that we, get, we get messages from people sold multiple times. with photos saying like, oh, I've, I've added an inch to my, to my chest or two inches to my chest and this amount to my bench press or I've lost this amount of fat and it's from the, the book and we don't even know who they are. And it's like, wow, <laughs> okay, so it, it's getting results for the sake of eight quid. Like it's, it's definitely, for a self-motivated yeah. person, it's, it's perfect. And that's, that's where an ebook fits in. We can cover this later, but um, thing low-end passive products are really for the type of people who are wanting to do it themselves. They don't want to pay for accountability and extra bells and whistles and they just want or they're testing the waters they don't know if they trust you so they're going to buy the low-end program and very often people will buy that and then they upgrade to the full the full thing because they're like whoa okay you so your job is to over deliver on anything cheap that you're selling because it's uh yeah. what's in marketing world is called a tripwire offer it's um to get people just to start buying something from you so that they can see that you are the real deal and then ascend your value ladder and i think the rule with stuff like that is that's the last thing you make like you definitely don't want to i think people see that we sell ebooks and think like oh i need to, I need to make an ebook and sell it for 10 quid like to, to to make any kind of reasonable revenue from that price point you've got to really be selling some ebooks yeah the um, ebook is not the profit driver and, and so <laughs> don't, no. um, it's but, the it's exactly as you said so someone comes in the sales process says no to the main thing goes, I wonder what what else these guys have. Oh, they have something for eight quid. Oh, I'm happy to risk eight quid. Buy it, read it, maybe get some results with it. All right, fi fine. I'll buy the more expensive stuff. I get a time that suits them. The final con of digital products is there are running costs. It's not all daisies and candy floss and... <laughs> What, what do you say? It's not all um, fairies and Sun, sunshine and rainbows. Sunshine and rainbows. There we go. Um, because there are running costs, and it's funny because the, the the way that the curve works is that the running costs are pretty flat. You know, once you've paid for your software and stuff, it doesn't really make much difference. To pay, you know, whether you're making a thousand pounds a month or ten thousand pounds a month, when you start to get into very high volumes, then you know you you will encounter a slight jump up, but it's not 
it's not massive. And we know a guy who set up a smoothie yogurt, frozen yogurt place um, nearby. We went to school with him and I was chatting to him and he he very kindly made me a, um, a raspberry smoothie. And he was like, oh man, you guys have got it sweet. Like, mm. I'm thinking of getting into online marketing. I'm like, oh really, how, how come? And he's like, well, I've got to pay for raspberries and milk and yogurt and you guys don't have any costs. And I remember thinking like, oh man, that must be the perception of an online business. <laughs> you just have no costs. Yeah, but I think you could run it without any costs. If you really, like, if you kept it really small. This is what Gumtree, yeah, this is their just, business model. Um, they they only charge after you've made your first thousand pounds online. And then I think from that point, it's a progressive pricing scheme where they just take a commission. Mm. I mean, I w- we wouldn't recommend Gumtree because I think it looks amateur. Like it's, it's literally, that's, that's what it's designed for, designed for amateurs. And so as a result, it conveys... <laughs> Hello, I'm an amateur. Please buy my first. I'm an amateur. Yeah. Yeah. That won't be as good as I say it is, basically. It'll be in size 16, double spaced, all the classic year nine tactics that you use to pad out an essay. Comic Sans MS. <laughs> yeah. Like our our software bill, I just had a look. So all of the software we use for, and, and like, I guess a, de- a decently sized online coaching business is about 800 pounds a month for everything. So now that's like all of every single tool that goes into running the business and supporting all of the customers that we have and all of the products we deliver and all the emails that we send and, and everything. And you might hear that and think like, that sounds like a lot, but that's, that's like us absolutely having everything we need. Like we're not, we don't, we're not really skimping on it and we could, we could spend less, but I think the way that it's important to look at it as like, that's the same. Like if we were running a shop that was doing the same revenue that we do, it would have to be quite a big unit and we'd be spending an awful lot more than, than 800 pounds a month on sort of the, what is basically the, the shop of the business, right? Like the stuff that goes into the, the delivery of the products and the care of the customers and the, the marketing and the selling and the quality of that experience that's that software bill. But really, I don't think that's that much at all when you consider like what goes into running a milkshake shop, like what 800 pounds would get you. Not very much. Oh yeah. The, the, the margin on that compared to the software is, you know, the revenue 50 times that of the, um, of the software cost, for example. So Yeah. yeah. Cool. What a podcast. We have been round the houses. Thank you for round your houses. suggestions, your messages. Um, please do keep them coming. We have a couple of questions that we can cover next week. Um, some really, really good ones. Actually, we've got a lot to um, a lot to say about them. So next week we will cover what differentiates the people who are most successful with our business system from the people who aren't. Because not everyone makes it. And there are certain characteristics that mean that you will smash it with an online fitness business if you follow a system. I mean, obviously our system is the best, but but if you follow any any system, if you want to follow an inferior one, then you can. You know, there's many other businesses that <laughs> that you shouldn't buy from. You could if you wanted to, but obviously, probably not a good idea. <laughs> If you do want to buy from us, no, if, you, if you'd like to work with us, 
um, two things, two ways you can do it. One of them is send us an email, get to the front of the digital queue, send us an email with the subject line propane business podcast to admin at propanefitness.com. And one of us will literally drop whatever we're doing. Like I've, I've seen Yusuf being in the middle of making dinner, receive that email and smashed plates on the floor. Off. He puts all the food in the bin <laughs> and he takes the call because that's what the virtual queue jump is. Um, so if you, that's, that's the quickest way to speak to us about it. If you want to apply for one of the programs, if you just want to see what we're about, go to propanefitness.com forward slash business podcast. And there's as much as we can possibly give for free in a training module that's yours to keep, which is fantastic. It's really brilliant. Really, it is really fantastic. Good. It's actually better than the latest um, Netflix special, Squid Game. I've said it. Better than yeah. It's better and than Peaky that. Blinders and all of them, all of them combined. Yeah. We haven't had any voice notes yet. I think people don't want to send us them, which is kind of fair enough. Um, but if you, <laughs> much to use of dismay. But if you want, if there's anything you want us to react to. Um, we have a lot of fun reacting to stuff. So send us that on Instagram or email. It can be a link or a file or whatever. Um, if you want to ask us a question, but you don't want your voice to be on the podcast, just get in touch with us via social media or email and we will read it out and pretend to be you and, and speak into it. No, I'm joking. We'll just, It'll be more embarrassing because we'll, we'll just we'll read do it out an impression as of your voice. We'll look at a photo. And if we don't know what your voice sounds like, we'll look at a photo of you and we'll try and guess we'll what you're worst. Assume the worst. It'll be Brilliant. at least twice as bad. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so just send us a voice message. Save yourself all that hassle. Yeah, all the heartache. All right. Speak soon. Bye. Want to learn more about the systems we use to run, build, and scale propanefitness.com? Head over to propanefitness.com forward slash business podcast and you can get your hands on our free training that covers the seven steps that we take with every client that we help build their own online business and also the seven steps that we use to successfully build Propane Fitness. We walk through the sales systems, the delivery systems, follow-up, remarketing, how to basically build your program so that it delivers coaching to your clients without you being there 24-7. We really do cover the full thing, right? And if you want to continue even further and potentially work with us, there's a chance to book in a call to have an informal chat with Yusuf or I to just basically see if any of our programs would be a fit to help you get from where you are to where you want to get to. So go to propanefitness.com forward slash business podcast today and get access to that. If you'd like to learn just more about Yusuf and I, more about us, what we do, follow us on the various channels, the best place to go is our YouTube channel. We have a load of stuff from fitness content, productivity content, why Yusuf slept on the floor for several months, why he's been having cold showers. There's always stuff on there that's entertaining and hopefully informative. So just go to YouTube, search for Propane Fitness, and you can find out a bit more about us there as well. Speak to you on the next episode.